We'll hear argument next in number 9423, the City of Edmonds versus Oxford House, Inc. <laughs> To remain, refrain from talking till you get outside the courtroom. The court remains in session. Mr. Snyder. Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the Court. This case presents the Court with one question. Are traditional zoning schemes, which set aside a portion of the community for the exclusive use of the family, as defined in accordance with the decisions of this Court, exempt from the reasonable accommodation requirements of the Fair Housing Act amendments under Section 3607B1, exempting any reasonable local restriction on the maximum number of occupants who may occupy a dwelling. If Congress is to overturn over 70 years of federal deference to local zoning decisions and to limit communities' ability to set aside a portion of the community for the exclusive use of the family, we believe it should be required to do so in clear, unequivocal language stated on the face of the statute. As Justice Marshall stated in his dissent in Belterre, zoning is the most important function performed by local government. The City believes that the Eleventh Circuit's position in the City of Athens case, using the exemption to permit a threshold inquiry into the reasonableness of local zoning ordinances, furthers a number of important policy considerations, and meets the intent of Congress. First, to do so preserves the traditional deference which this Court and the Federal Courts have given to local zoning decisions and legislative decisions allocating portions of the community. Secondly, such an interpretation prevents the FHA a, from coming into conflict, potentially, with the constitutional concerns raised by the Amicus Pacific Legal Foundation. Third, to do so per permits the federal courts to continue to prohibit exactly the type of discrimination referenced in the Joint Committee Report, that is, Claiborne-type discrimination, in which groups of disabled persons are judged on a different basis or subjected to differing requirements and groups of other unrelated individuals. And finally, using the reasonableness standard as opposed to the reasonable accommodation standard prevents the federal courts from having to make inquiries, individual fact-based inquiries, into the individual citing decisions of group homes based in large part upon the specific characteristics of a particular program. We believe that the Ninth Circuit was wrong in their decision in our case. 
when it asserted that the vast majority of zoning ordinances would go unreviewed. The reasonable standard which the Court has applied in, in a variety of constitutional cases, beginning with Euclid, provide a structural review of zoning ordinances, which is considered with the, consistent with the pattern of decision-making of this Court. Are you saying that the statute does nothing more than impose the constitutional standard on municipalities? The Fair Housing Act amendments accomplished many things. Uh, for example, it set up a conciliation and review process. Uh, what I point to, in the, particularly in the Joint Committee report, is that the only case cited and the only evil described with respect to what the Congress is trying to cure with respect to local zoning ordinances was Claiborne-type discrimination. Claiborne is cited twice, both in the general comments and the specific section-by-section -section comments. There are other things, obviously, that the Act did. Uh, for example, having the conciliation process provides an administrative structure, potentially lessens the burdens on the courts, and allows a way for uh, disabled individuals to have their problems addressed with the assistance of HUD investigators. Mr. Snyder, I may not understand your, your argument, but if all um, the, if the, if the Act's objective were limited to avoiding Claiborne or Cleveland kind of discrimination, why would it also have put in the requirement of reasonable adjustment of the, uh, of the zoning ordinances to achieve the objects of the Act? The reasonable accommodation standard is most, most frequently discussed in the comments uh, as they address uh, structural issues. Exiting entrances, uh, stairs, the same sort of barrier-free removal which have occurred in, which, through the ADA, for example. So you're, you're, you're saying that the, the, the reasonable accommodations are, are just kind of, as you put, structural, physical, uh, not doctrinal, certainly. I, I guess the city's position would rely perhaps on a stronger point, we believe, and that's the plain meaning of the statute itself, and particularly the exemption. In our reply brief, we uh, cite Rice versus the uh, Board of Trade case, which was a situation in which there was a, a general prohibition against a certain type of regulation, and then an exemption created for reasonable rules created in a certain area. Uh, the breadth of the uh, exemption itself, which refers to any reasonable local limitation, Secondly, this court and the federal courts, as they have discussed... It isn't quite right. It doesn't say any reasonable. It says any. Doesn't it limit it to ordinances that control the maximum number of occupants? Correct. So at least we've got to decide whether it's that kind of ordinance. Yes, sir. Yeah, that you haven't said well, much it, about it, that. Well, it says any, any reasonable local ordinance imposing a maximum. Is, is, is reasonable uh, determined in accordance with the purposes of the Act, or is it reasonable from the standpoint of general zoning? laws, or do we know? Well, I think there are probably two sources of law. When you see the word reasonable, it implies a balancing test, obviously. We think that the first level of inquiry in terms of structural review would be to resort to the decisions of this court, uh, which in four or five decisions have uh, looked at local zoning ordinances and determined certain attributes to be reasonable and a constitutional. You mean they're reasonable under the due process clause? Is that is that, uh, that would be one of the standards. Uh, again, I, the well, I, I assume that's that must be assumed. I mean, yes, any zoning ordinance has to pass due process muster. Or yes, sir. So that doesn't help us much. I think that, the, as I said, there are several levels of inquiry. The second level of inquiry 
uh, probably an analogy would be best. There's a community immediately south of the city of Edmonds, which is comprised solely of single-family zoning, but which has an identical definition of family to that of the city of Edmonds. Applied the same ordinance or the same definition of family in that community would work to exclude the disabled from the community. The key difference in the city of Edmonds structure is that Edmonds affirmatively amended its ordinance to remove the Claiborne type discrimination and to open other zoning districts of the city to the group home use. Well, my only question is, does reasonable in the exceptions clause set forth at page two of your brief, uh, do we determine reasonable with reference to the objectives of this act? I believe it has a broader significance. Looking to the structure and history of the purposes of zoning ordinances has developed over the past 70 years. The, the very nature of a zoning ordinance... If it, if it has a broader purpose, does it also include the purposes of this Act, or do we only reach the purposes of this Act after we have found out that this is somehow a valid, reasonable zoning ordinance with reference to standards that are outside the Act? Uh, the latter with a qualification, sir. Uh, I think, again, reasonableness implies a balancing test, uh, looking both the law and facts. It's not the depth of inquiry, that individualized, fact-based inquiry that reasonable accommodation has been given under the ADA and other statutes. The very essence of a zoning ordinance is the ability of a community to distinguish and classify uses. An ordinance which, which set up unreasonable categories would be exclusionary in that sense. An ordinance which categorizes on a reasonable basis uh, is definitional in nature and also is the very purpose of zoning. It seems to me there's a threshold question that you, maybe, maybe I'm missing something. It, that it's a particular kind of ordinance. It has to be one that, that relates to the maximum number of people who can occupy the property. That's, That's the only exemption, isn't it? So you have to convince us, and maybe you're right, that this is such an ordinance, we, even before we decide whether it's reasonable. Yes, sir. Yeah. The, the respondents uh, assert that because the Uniform Housing Code, which the City of Edmonds has adopted, is specifically mentioned in the comments, that that is the only, the sole and only type of occupancy limit uh, that can be asserted. As we know... Well, Edmonds, the city, does have and has adopted a provision that would limit the maximum number of occupants based on the square footage per person in, available in the dwelling, right? Yes. And uh, the argument of the other side is that's the kind of ordinance this uh, federal law uh, refers to. Yes, Justice O'Connor. And not your definition of family. That's correct. Uh, and I think that's the key distinction in the case. Uh, three uh, reasons or examples, I think, would be helpful at this point. The UHC, the Uniform Housing Code, is directly mentioned in the comments. But the plain meaning of the statute goes on to use any reasonable limitation. To me, clearly implying that there are other reasonable occupancy limits that can be employed. If they had meant to say the UHC and square footage limitations they could, are the only type that could have been permitted, they should have said so. So you can see then that if it didn't have the provision for five unrelated members, if the definition of family in the, in the Edmonds provision just meant 
um, individuals married, related by genetic, genetics, etc., and there were no provision for five or fewer, you wouldn't have a prayer of coming within this exemption. You'd have to work it out under the basic thou shalt not discriminate and thou shalt um, make reasonable accommodations. In addition to having a Beltaire problem, that's correct. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm so far behind the, the curve on this one. I don't even understand what violation you need an exemption from. You come in arguing that you come within the exemption. What is the violation that you have to be exempted from? It is asserted by the government, and has been since 1990, that the mere existence of a definition of family in the city of Edmonds which sets a limit on the number of individuals who may occupy a dwelling yes. is in violation of the FHAA because a group home... What provision does it violate is what I'm concerned about. The only provision I can find is the provision that says it's, it's unlawful to discriminate against any person in the terms, conditions, or privileges of sale or rental uh, because of a handicap, and then it defines discriminate to include a refusal to make reasonable accommodations in rules, policies, practices, or services. Doesn't mention laws, ordinances. I note the government, in its in its brief in this case, constantly refers to zoning rules. I never heard the expression zoning rules. We say zoning ordinances, zoning laws. But suddenly there's this category of zoning rules. What, you, 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 do you acknowledge that, that a refusal to make reasonable accommodation in laws comes within that phrase, in rules, policies, practices, or services? It's a very strange way to put it, isn't it? Uh, the city gladly embraces your viewpoint. Uh, I think that's a question you, you better for my that, brothers. You think the law is not a rule? Is that your argument? An ordinance is not a rule? Uh, in a technical sense, there are, uh, at state law and in, and in federal case law, very clear distinctions between rulemaking and ordinance typically in the general enactment. category of rules, do you think ordinances do not fall within that category? Have you, you never advanced that rather radical suggestion, have you? I have not, sir. No. I, I thought your point was when you get so specific as to list things, rules, policies, practices, services, if you meant laws and ordinances, you would have said them. I, I that think that's your... correct. I, let me come at it from a slightly different, let me agree with you in a different way. Isn't, there, isn't there some experience with this language in federal legislation and accommodations, uh, let's say in the employment area, where it has not been limited to uh, something lesser than law? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not aware of that distinction, Your Honor. The reasonable accommodation, say, the notion with respect to religion in Title VII, isn't that this a familiar uh, qualification that you sometimes are permitted to make distinctions if it costs too much, if the accommodation isn't reasonable? Uh, does that just exclude the realm of, uh, of, a, of a law that would have to have, a local law that would have an exception? Uh, difficult question for me to answer. Uh, again, the, the context is so much different from what is presented here. In any event, you might get to that. You, you say we don't even have to bother with what this provision about reasonable accommodation means because we are just totally out of it. We're yes, out of it under the exemption. 
So Justice Scalia's point might be a live, active point if you're wrong about the exemption. But you said, say, this legislation doesn't touch us for reason A. Maybe it doesn't touch you for reason B, but we're here arguing about what this 3607B1 means. That's correct. Again, 3607B1, and this is the second part to my answer to uh, Justice Scalia, uh, sets up three categories. It discusses federal, state, and local uh, limitations. The traditional role of zoning authorities has been top-down categorization, dividing communities into districts, categorizing on the basis of common attributes. In effect, setting aside portions of the community, the basic building block of which is the single-family zone. And, you, and you, we had gotten to the point where you said if we had, as the definition of the family, simply related people, then you would not have a prayer of coming within this exemption, whatever else might take you out of the act. Yes, Your Honor. So you are depending on what is a tag-on to the definition of family. In this case, five or few people in Delta, what was it, two people? Correct. You're saying that that little tail on the basic provision which defines family is what gets you into this exemption. It makes it a, an occupancy limit. That's correct. Well, why is it that uh, you, you concede that uh, requirement that persons be related is not a maximum? Uh, simply beca uh, because of it, the it, It's true that it's not a knowable number. It, uh, and an, uh, I, I take your point. Uh, I, it's basically Moore versus East Cleveland in the, in the constitutional limitation on the is city's ability. Is it not ability. because the statute says maximum number? And a definition of family is, is limitless as far as number is concerned. Uh, it's correct that it's limitless as far as the definition is defined. As the record shows... But it is one way of describing a numerical limit, isn't it? Uh, yes, sir. We, we ascertain whether the people are related. Yes, sir. And, and that sets the numerical limit because anybody that's not related takes it over the numerical limit. I take your point. I would also believe that the record shows a well, legislative so, basis. So do you think that this is a maximum then under the under the definition of, of B1? As written, yes, sir, I do. Uh, what I would think Congress's purpose? Have, I can understand why Congress might have, might have said, look, um, we're not even going to go into a local zoning rule that says don't crowd people into a single house. Don't take a little house and stuff ten people into it. You do that, you're okay. But what would have been the point of Congress wanting to exempt from all of this uh, a, a law that a rule, local zoning rule, said single-family housing? Why would they? I mean, I can understand why they would have wanted the interpretation that don't stuff people into a house. I think it's that. If all the city did was just say, hey, we're going to have single families in this place, whether it's one person or 50 people in the family, be a big family. Uh, uh, why would Congress want to exempt all those from the fair housing law? I mean, from the uh, handicap law. I think it would be a matter of deference to the traditional role that local government has played in, defi in defining the use of lots and homes. I take it there's nothing in the legislative history that suggests Congress wanted to do that, but there's quite a lot that suggests that what they wanted to do was give way to anti-stuffing rules, if you like. 
that is one evil, or I'm sorry, that's one form of regulation that they expi- explicitly indicated they wished to preserve. And did they indicate anywhere that they wanted to worried about anything else? I think there's a danger in relying particularly on the comments of individual legislators. That may have been their view, but if they didn't have the votes to bring it forward in this, on the basis of the statute. There is nothing else, I take it. There is nothing else. Uh, nothing that I can cite at this time, sir. Well, I guess if you're going to rely on the legislative history, uh, the, the House report, was it? Then, then you'd have to say that, the, uh, that the, uh, the whole thing is only limited to the, uh, the family discrimination provision anyway, and not to the discrimination uh, against the handicapped, because that whole thing is under that title, as I recall. Uh, the city does not rely on the legislative history. We believe that uh, our position is covered by the plain meaning of the statute as written. No, I, I understand, but the other side does without without bringing in with the legislative history the limitation that it was that it, it speaks as though this uh, uh, this provision only goes to the to the uh, discrimination on the basis of family status rather than on the basis of handicap. If that was their intent, sir, the statute is extremely poorly written and structured. Why? Why? It seems to me that this releases uh, a town from certain restrictions. You can't discriminate on the basis of family status. That's apart from the handicap. Isn't that true? That's one of the bases, proscribed bases, familial status, right? Yes. And this whole thing seems to be an exemption to permit you to discriminate on family status. The first sentence takes care of stuffing too many children into a small apartment. And the second sentence takes care of keeping the kids out of a retirement community. So the statute is totally logical if it, lo- if it looked at as having nothing to do with the handicap, having only to do with not stuffing too many children in a tiny apartment and letting retirement, letting older people be free from the noise of children. Yes, Justice Ginsburg. And then it would just not relate to the handicap at all, and you'd have to make your case or not on the basis of the, the statutory pr- proscription plus the reasonable accommodation. I think your reading would uh, achieve the purpose that the city looks to protect, which is the traditional deference of the courts to local zoning structures. Traditionally, it would, it would, my reading would, would say that you don't come under this exemption at all because the exemption is not dealing with the handicap exemption has to do with with uh, overcrowding in small apartments too many children in one apartment it's an exemption that deals only with familial status discrimination if if that was the intent of congress uh, placing a general exemption uh, without any limitation as to section it seems to me applies the exemption to the, the Fair Housing Act amendments as a whole. It's not limited in any way to the specific section. It's not an exemption to the section on familial status. It's an exemption to the Fair Housing Act amendment, which is... Well, the second sentence certainly is limited to familial status, is it not? What is the second sentence? What is the purpose of the provision that says uh, nothing um, in the provisions on familial status apply with respect to housing for older people? Oh, that, that's certainly what it says. Yes, the response is precisely, thereby emphasizing that the first sentence isn't limited just to families. That, I mean, doesn't that make I, it seem even clearer? I appreciate the assistance. Yeah. <laughs> the, the traditional role of local governments in zoning 
has been, again, to categorize. And we believe that it's the interplay of the Uniform Housing Code, which limits square footage from the bottom up, looking at rooms, uh, bedrooms, and specific square footage requirements, as well as the traditional top-down role of local government to set aside zoning districts and regulate occupancy per lot, per building, per structure. And the interplay of those two specific types of rules and regulations work to establish the local government's role in occupancy limitation. State and federal uh, governments have, may have different roles depending upon their specific, specific interest in a subject. Again, I think the, the key from the city's perspective is the, is the 70 years of deference to this type of decision making. Uh, it's very difficult, or communities assign and create zones and make classifications based upon specific understanding of their particular demographic nature. As the record indicates, the average unit family unit size or dwelling unit in the, in the city of Edmonds is 2.41 individuals. The five or fewer unrelated individuals creates, it's basically double that number, it creates a uh, an area in which groups of unrelated individuals with or without disabilities can come together and establish uh, household arrangements. The traditional role is established in, by Euclid for local governments has been to make those distinctions so that it can plan, so that we can make reasonable assumptions about the number of people who reside in a neighborhood, in a lot, and make density decisions, thereby planning. Uh, sizing water pipes, sizing sewers, knowing where to locate a precinct house or a fire station. As far as what Edmonds can do now, it, it's under a further restriction from state law, from Washington state law, and, and I would be interested in, in knowing what you understand to be the command in this recent um, Washington statute. Uh, I believe that the purpose of the statute, which was enacted at the same time that the uh, Fair Housing Act was incorporated into state law, was to paraphrase the ci a city's obligations under the Fair Housing Act amendments. This court's assistance in interpreting what, interpreting what those obligations are would give the Washington courts great deference or great assistance. There is no case pending in the state of Washington that the provision has never been interpreted as far as mootness goes, as long as there are damage claims against the city of Edmonds pending with respect to actions which may have occurred in 1990, three years before the statute, uh, we believe that the issue should be resolved by the court. Well, whether, one thing is to say your case is not moot, but uh, you're also saying this, this doesn't give you any clear state command for the future. I thought that the statute meant that from henceforth you were to treat um, handicapped dwellings the same way you treat family units. Well, it, it, the phrase is residential structure, which fur further confuses uh, the issue. Yeah, but how, how, what, what should we do about that? That is, I, I'm wor what is the appropriate thing? It looks, if you read this provision, the city may not enact any zoning regulation occupied by persons with handicaps differently from a similar residential structure occupied by a family or other unrelated individual. On its face, that seems as if it means 
that you can't treat these people differently because they have handicaps than you would treat a family. And I think that it might not mean that. That's and what, that's what, so what do we, should we do? I suggest that the meaning of that particular phrase in the state statute be to, that there be deferral to the state courts to determine it. Uh, it's, uh, this, this court's ruling on what the city's obligations are under the Fair Housing Act amend, amendments. Would help. Would How would it help? It would provide direction to the court as to what was the intent of the, or the Washington state courts as to what was the general purpose of the Fair Housing Act amendments, remembering that this provision was enacted in the, at the state legislature in conjunction with an adoption of the Fair Housing Act amendments. It's been incorporated in the, in the Growth Management Act for the state of Washington. Uh, RCW Chapter 3670A, or 36A70, uh, which also requires each local community to annually conduct a special needs population assessment to determine what the needs of the disabled are in each community and to plan for them. Now, we believe that that's the proper role of local government, is to take that big picture approach, determine how many group homes require siting, how much of a community needs to be set aside, and then to properly categorize those where they belong in the community based on a neutral criteria as to how many residents they would have and what the other physical characteristics of a particular group home are. I'd like uh, Mr. Ju Chief Justice to reserve the remainder of my time. Very well, Mr. Snyder. Uh, Mr. Sheehan, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice. Sometime during your presentation, Mr. will you tell us what you think is the section of the statute that makes it applicable to zoning regulations? Yes, I will indeed. Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the court. Uh, I can start with that question initially, Mr. Chief Justice. I think it may be the same question that's on the minds of some of the other justices. We contend, <clears throat> uh, uh, you understand that I'm now jumping ahead to the merits of the argument that we will make if we prevail here on remand in the lower courts. We contend that the statute requires a reasonable accommodation. May I just anticipate what I, I, it's, it's related to the Chief Justice's question. Am I correct in assuming that the District Court and the Court of Appeals merely held that the that the exemption didn't apply and they did not reach the merits of whether there was a violation of the rules or discrimination or anything else. That is, that is exactly right. So all of that would be open on remand. That is exactly right. The Ninth Circuit, in its opinion, said so expressly. We will contend, if we prevail here on remand, we will contend that the city will discriminate against us if it refuses to make, in the words of the statute, a reasonable accommodation in rules, policies, practices, or services we believe that local zoning ordinances fall within the language of rules, policies, practices, or services, and so do the half-dozen decisions cited at footnote 7 of our brief, including decisions out of the 10th and the 3rd circuits. None, none from this court, I take it. None from this court. More than that, you, you, you have to say that uh, uh, the city is... Uh, discriminating in the terms, conditions, or privileges of sale or rental of a dwelling. That's correct. We will, its law is a privilege of sale or rental. We will, we will, we will contend that the, that, that the effect of the city's law is to work a discrimination that is prohibited by the statute. And, uh, and your, your assertion is that rules is, uh, is meant to preempt state laws and ordinances. That's correct, Your Honor. We are provision concerning uh, 
the effect on uh, on state laws is much more specific later on and it refers to state laws and even though section 36 what is it 3610 G matters to the D says if the secretary determines that the matter involves the legality of any state or local zoning or other land use law or ordinance it refers specifically to law or ordinance. Yes, it does, Your Honor, which is one of the reasons why we think zoning ordinances are covered by the Act, because cases involving the legality of zoning ordinances are referred to the Attorney General, and the legislative history, and I'm reading from page 148 of the Joint Appendix, provides, states that the committee intends that the prohibition against discrimination against those with handicaps applied to zoning decisions and practices. Did the Congress intend that or just the committee? Was that a House committee or a Senate committee? That was a House committee report, Your Honor. In 1988... But, but just to clarify, it is your position that there has not been a first view on any of those issues, so the only thing that's here for us to review is the interpretation of 3607. That is correct, Your Honor. That is correct. In 1988, Congress extended the Fair Housing Act to handicapped persons Congress knew must live in group homes and residential areas. If the city's construction of the statute is correct, it means that all local governments across the country can entirely exclude all group homes entirely from their cities. Now that is true not only for single-family zoning, but it's for multi-family zones as well. All group homes for handicapped can be excluded. The city takes the position that it its ordinance comes within the exemption because it's constitutional. So was the ordinance in the village of Belterre case, which defined a family to mean two or fewer unrelated people. If uh, uh, the city is correct, every local government can adopt a village of Belterre ordinance and exclude group homes for the handicapped. Well, I, I suppose every local government could adopt a maximum which uh, could exclude uh, group homes. If, if it's a maximum, the only question is, is it a maximum? That's what the statute says. The statute requires, the statute exempts a, a restriction on the maximum occupancy of the number of persons who can occupy a dwelling. The city construes that statute to allow the exclusion of all group homes. It would be remarkable if, in our view, if in a statute meant to extend the protective embrace of the Fair Housing Act to handicapped persons whom Congress well, knew must live in group the, homes. The, stat, the uh, definition of family or the city that we're looking at does, in one sense, establish a maximum number of unrelated people who can live in the single-family home. And um, the district court judge, Judge Dwyer, uh, found that uh, that established a maximum. The Ninth Circuit disagreed, but uh, why was the district court's interpretation wrong under the statute? It was wrong for several reasons, Your Honor. Uh, in the first place, it construed the exemption as the city does in isolation from the rest of the statute. Uh, just yesterday in the Gustafson decision, this court said that its duty is to construe statutes, not isolated provisions. The city can point you to nothing else in the statute or the legislative history or its purposes and policies that gives any indication that Congress meant to exclude group homes. A second reason, Your Honor, is as you described the ruling of the district court and as you described the city's position, you said that 
the city's definition of a family does provide a maximum. Well, you but, mean no maximum can exclude a group home? Is that your no, no matter if the ordinance is a maximum or isn't, a group home cannot be excluded? Your Honor, if the maximum is written in terms of the kind of health and safety restrictions that housing codes typically impose, a group home can be excluded. Well, that means you could, you could build, uh, you know, 80-story uh, uh, group homes uh, uh, in, in, uh, in otherwise single-family areas. No, Your Honor, um, but I have to jump ahead again to the merits to say why that's not correct. An 80-story group home would not be entitled to a reasonable accommodation, but the, but, but the ordinance that uh, would be subject to the 80-story group home would not, would not be exempt from a merits review under the statute unless it were written in the terms that we say Congress meant to exempt, namely prescriptions on, on uh, I mean to say, restrictions on the number of people who can occupy a particular dwelling based on health and safety concerns related to the space of that dwelling. Our construction of the exemption lives happily with the statute. It also lives happily with the Anti-Drug Abuse Act in which Congress meant to promote, to finance group homes like Oxford House for six or more people. Well, can you tell me why this isn't a maximum? Is, is it because the, the family definition is open-ended as to numbers, it is controlled by related. Is that what makes this not a maximum? What makes this, what makes the city's ordinance fall outside the exception is that it doesn't fit into the language of the exception and it doesn't fit into the rest of the structure of the Fair Housing Act or does, the Anti-Drug Abuse Act. Does it not fit within the language of the exception because it's not a maximum? It is, it does not, if you stand in front of a house in Edmonds, if you walk inside that house, if you stand next to two identical houses in Edmonds, you can't tell how many people can reside in that house under the city zoning ordinance. You can under its housing code. So the city's zoning ordinance, with looking strictly at the words of the statute and thinking of nothing else, does not identify the maximum number of people who can occupy. Because the maximum is in terms of occupants. And of course, I guess you can't tell the number of occupants until you go in the house. That's the way it's written. Well, I'm talking about an empty house, Your Honor. If you stand in front of an empty house in, in the well, city... Well, you're saying you have, to, you have to be able to look at that, determine from the outside of the house how many occupants are in it? No, I'm just saying that the city's ordinance may impose a maximum number on some groups of people, but not on other groups, and it does not, within the words of the statute, identify the maximum number of people... Oh, it can, does identify the maximum number of unrelated people it does. who can live it does. in a house in that part of the city. That's correct, it does. And in that sense, it is a maximum. In that sense, Your Honor, it and is so a maximum. The question is, why don't we read it as being within the meaning of 3607B1? Because, because it does establish a maximum. Because it would be. I had assumed that you were arguing because of the legislative history uh, and because of the general structure of the, the federal law in general. But if you just look at this provision, 3607, it does appear to fall within it, doesn't it? Which certainly could explain the district court's ruling. Well, Your Honor, the district court's ruling can be explained by its refusal to consider the exemption in the context of the, line of, of the overall statute. The ordinance does... The ordinance does 
define Mr. a maximum. Some of us are having trouble hearing you. Maybe if you raise the lectern a little bit with that crank. So now you're lower. Thank you. The ordinance does identify a maximum. It identifies a maximum number of, of some kinds of people who can live in a dwelling. It does not identify the maximum number. The ordinance is not written in the way that one might expect if Congress had meant to exempt a zoning ordinance. It sounds very much like the way one would write an exception. I meant to say the exception, not the ordinance. The exception is not written in the way you'd expect if Congress was intending to exempt Let's look at the ordinance for a second. I guess we have a normal legal animal that's difficult. Part of it seems to have a maximum called five unrelated. Part of it doesn't seem to have a maximum called single family. You could have a little family or a big family. All right, so then I guess I'd like to look for the basic purpose of this particular zoning reg. Was it to prevent overcrowding? Was it to do something else? Why did they pass this reg? What's the point of it for the zoning rule? Your Honor, zoning laws are concerned with the character of neighborhoods. Housing code density restrictions are concerned with the health and safety of individuals inside a dwelling. A zoning code restriction on the number of individuals who may live in a house is not concerned with the health and safety of those individuals inside the house because the restriction applies whether the house has two rooms or 20. Zoning is concerned with neighborhoods. Housing codes are concerned with density of particular dwellings. What is the concern of this particular zoning rule before us? Why did they pass it? Because they wanted to preserve the character of single-family zoned areas. Mr. Schitt, you you referred to health health and safety reasons several times in connection with the ordinance requirement. But the statute doesn't say that. It says federal restrictions regarding the uh, maximum number of occupants permitted to occupy a dwelling. It doesn't say for what reason the maximum may be imposed. No, it doesn't. And the reason that, that we believe that Congress intended to exempt only health and safety related rules such as you find in a housing code uh, is in part because of the origin of the exception. And it stems as was noted earlier, from the concern that large families might insist upon living in small quarters. And the legislative history suggests that in order to allay that concern, Congress enacted this exemption. Is it your position that this exception doesn't apply at all uh, to to handicapped exclusion? It is is not. We have not contended that. I I, I understand. Well, if you're going to buy the legislative history, it seems you you just pick the portion of it you like and and omit the portion you don't like. Well, Your Honor... uh, I mean, the legislative history makes clear that all they had in mind was, was family status. So if you're going to use legislative history for the one, I don't know why you don't use it for the other. Well, if, if in fact the legislative history, if we were to rely on that legislative history and this court were to, were to agree, we would win. So I'm not shy on relying on it for that reason. I just think it doesn't make sense to argue that handicapped groups of handicapped people can overcrowd dwellings and cause health and safety problems that housing code restrictions are meant to avoid. Alternatively, if the committee report could be so mistaken about whether this provision applies to the handicapped at all, 
then it may be equally mistaken about, about what the provision means as far as Maxim is, is concerned. I, you, I mean, it, it seems to me you either buy the whole, the whole report, in which case you say it doesn't apply to handicapped at all, or if you say, oh, yeah, it does apply to handicapped, then you're, you're looking at a committee report that is very ignorant, that, no, that, 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 that just makes a botch of the whole thing to think that it only applies to family status. No, Your Honor, I have never said that the committee report states that the restriction does not apply to handicapped people. We don't take that position. We haven't. It says that. It does not, Your Honor. It, 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 it suggests that the restriction was designed to alleviate concerns about family discrimination issues, but it does not say that it does not apply to handicapped, to concerns involving overcrowding by handicapped individuals. Let me say one other thing about the way the statute is written. We have cited at page 28 of our brief a model housing code which was promulgated by the American Public Health Association and the Center for Disease Control. This is a model housing code, and it says that the permissible occupancy of a dwelling, quote, is the maximum number of individuals permitted to reside in a dwelling unit, close quote. That sounds an awful like our, an awful lot like our restriction. Thank you, Mr. Shin. Uh, Mr. Bender, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. There, the only question before the court in this case is, as both other counsel have said, the question whether Edmund's definition of family uh, that limits the number of unrelated persons who may live together in certain areas of the city is a law regarding the maximum number of occupants permitted to occupy a dwelling. The question that will raised during oral arguments by Justice Scalia and others about whether zoning provisions are covered uh, and about whether this kind of uh, restriction can constitute a discrimination are ones on which the government has taken a uniform position and ones on which the decisions below are uniform. There have been no decisions in this court. But those questions are not in this case. This is the threshold issue of do you even get to those questions? Does the exemption just take it completely out of scrutiny under the uh, fair Ordinarily, well, one would think the threshold question would be the other one rather than this one. I agree with you completely. And I was confused by this case for a couple of weeks because I kept coming at it backwards. Uh, but that's because it was a motion for summary judgment based on this exemption, which would, uh, it was alleged, take it out of the Housing Act completely. Uh, our position is that this Edmonds Ordinance is not a uh, provision regarding the maximum number of occupants permitted to occupy a dwelling. To be that, it seems to me, uh, it would have to answer the question, what is the maximum number of occupants permitted to occupy a dwelling? This Edmonds Ordinance does not answer that question. You cannot tell from it what the maximum number of persons permitted well, to occupy a dwelling. Well, if it's an unrelated group, you can answer that. Well, you can tell what the maximum number of unrelated persons permitted to occupy a dwelling is, but you can't tell what the maximum number of occupants permitted to occupy a dwelling is. And this, the, the statutory language seems to us to be completely clear and plain on that, and that, so far as we're concerned, is the end of this, uh, is the end of this case. Congress could easily have written this to, uh, to also exempt this kind of unrelated persons provisions. They're very common. Many communities 
uh, around the country. A large percentage have this kind of provision, and they simply could have said the maximum number of unrelated persons or the maximum number of occupants permitted to occupy a dwelling. Uh, by using the language of fact, Mr. Bender, that, that most of those cities that have a provision like this also have a maximum occupancy provision. Right. And, and this clearly, those, those maximum occupancy provisions, the language you just used, Justice Stevens, is, is, are terms that are commonly used in the industry. And they are thought to refer to the kind of thing that Edmonds has and most communities have. Edmonds, I think, is that uh, for each uh, person in a bedroom, you need an additional 50 feet. It's to stop overcrowding. It's for health and safety reasons. They're overcrowding provisions, they're density provisions, they're maximum occupancy provisions. That's clearly what this was intended to refer to. Uh, I, we don't think there's any need to look at the legislative history, but if you do look at the legislative history, it's entirely clear as well, because the only reason this, this exemption came into the statute along with in 1988, along with the prohibitions on discrimination against the handicap and discrimination on grounds of family status. It wasn't in there before. And the, the reason it's in there is because it was feared that without this kind of exemption, people with large families who sought to live in small apartments so that they would have five or six people in a bedroom, when told you can't do that because the bedroom isn't large enough for five or six people, would say, but you can't tell us that because that would be a discrimination against us on grounds of family status. And this was put in there to make sure that people could not use the Housing Act to insulate themselves, to immunize themselves against their violation of health and safety regulations. But the government doesn't take that position, does it, that the exemption only applies to, to what it was, you tell us it was intended to cover, and that is the family status provision, so you didn't have to bring in someone with eight children if the apartment doesn't have room for eight children. No, I, I, we do not take that position. We think it applies to but the then you're being statute. you're picking and choosing in the legislature. You're, you're saying it's authoritative for one purpose, it's not authoritative for the other, because that provision... The legislative history of the House report says Section 3607B1 amends the act to make additional exemptions relating to the familial status provisions. And in fact, the first sentence relates not just to the familial status provision, but you're telling us to the handicap provision. We do not rely on the legislative history to tell us what this exemption means. Uh, but, but I mean, my goodness, no one would ever look only to legislative history, would they? Right. I mean, they'd look to position, structure, language, and legislative history where it's helpful, I guess. Well, and on some of these things it might be helpful, but on others not. Right. And I think, if you think about it, I've tried to think of, are there other provisions of the Housing Act that people might use to defend themselves against overcrowding limitations? And it, it's a stretch to think of them, but it would be possible. Somebody might say, somebody, a member of a minority group with a large family might say, large families are more prevalent in minority groups than anywhere else, and therefore you can't use your overcrowding limitation against me because it has a discriminatory impact. The Housing Act, remember, uh, includes discriminatory impacts. It's not Perhaps they might say that having a large family was a handicap. <laughs> <laughs> that too. I vote for that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that I think if somebody tried to use the handicap provision or the, uh, the race discrimination provision or perhaps a religion would say that people should have very large families and somebody says, well, my religion tells me I have to have all these children and I can't afford a larger apartment and therefore I'm entitled to violate the overcrowding provisions. I think Congress meant to say you couldn't use that provision of the statute either. And that's because they thought that these overcrowding provisions 
and the, the debates in Congress are full of this, that these overcrowding provisions are so important because they relate to disease, they relate to fire, they relate to, to epidemics, those kinds of things. They're so important that they should not be trumped. Well, and the, the reason for the overcrowding position, the provision in a normal uh, municipal ordinance applies equally whether the people are handicapped or not. That's right. And the reason is so strong that it overcomes the, uh, the effects of protection on discrimination against any of these groups, handicapped or, or others, if, uh, if it applies. And I think that's also important, to, that, that principle is also important when you look to see whether the city's view in this case is tenable, is, is being consistent with Congress's purpose. And I think as has been said, it's not. Because if this ordinance were permitted, to come within the exception. That would mean that cities could fence out handicapped people from living in certain areas of the city in those circumstances where handicapped people needed to live in congregate living arrangements in order to be able to live. No more than one would say that a city could, through a no animals rule or a no pets rule, fence out blind people from living in that part of the city because they need to have a guide dog, would Congress have wanted to say that cities can say handicapped people of, who need congregate living arrangements, and there are lots of, of groups of handicapped that, that do, the, the elderly handicapped, for example, mentally retarded people, uh, AIDS victims, often need to live in these arrangements. They need the support of a minimum number of people in order to be able to live, especially with economic factors that mean that they have to share the costs. Uh, and so they need a minimum number of people to, to, to get the sufficient Mr. money. Senator, is, is it your position that any, any, um, any numerical limitation that has an exception is not a, a numerical limitation? Because, I mean, you, you, know, you, you could read this ordinance, or you, you could write it differently. You can say uh, no, no house in this, uh, in this area of the city shall have more than five occupants unless uh, it is a family. You know, make, make that one exception. So it's a five-occupant limit, but an exception for families. That's basically That's, the same as this. It's basically the same as this. And you say the, the exception causes it to, to not be a numerical limitation. Yeah, I think... Oh, what, what if you say uh, no, no more than, uh, than 100 people in, in the apartment building unless uh, in extraordinary situations uh, uh, that's necessary? That's slightly different. If there was something about extraordinary situations and it indicated what those extraordinary situations were and they were fairly limited... It has to be extraordinary. It, it would the be, difference here is that families are not extraordinary. The basic rule, Justice Scalia, I think, is you have to be able to look at the ordinance and see a limit on the maximum number of occupants. And the reason why we think that is because the reason for this exception was to permit... Uh, local and state and federal laws that limited occupancy for reasons that have nothing to do with what kind of occupants they are. They have to do with overcrowding. And so as long as the ordinance doesn't, doesn't uh, deal with overcrowding, it doesn't... But doesn't the single-family limitation basically deal with that, don't you think? No, I don't think so. It doesn't deal with population density? Well, look at the, dis look at the definition of what's family in the Edmonds Ordinance. It's anybody who's genetically related. That's because you don't want to put down, you know... Uh, 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 limits on the number of children people can have but basically when you have a single family limitation isn't it doesn't it deal with overcrowding of the area you it's, don't want a whole lot of people no i don't think it deals with overcrowding it's overcrowding of the dwelling 
that this is concerned with, not with overcrowding of the area. I think that's quite clear in the exception itself. It's the maximum number of occupants permitted to occupy a dwelling, not the maximum density of occupants in a neighborhood. That's not within the meaning of this. And also, it's not only families. You could have the, uh, you could have the Oxford house but here. But it doesn't matter how big that dwelling is, isn't it? I mean, I, no. You can only have one family. If, I, I don't understand the question. Under the Edmonds Ordinance, you can have a family and up to five unrelated people, but a family can be infinitely large. Uh, remember, family is not defined here as uh, parents and children, or even parents, children, and grandchildren. It's anyone genetically related. We don't know what that means. There's nothing in the record to suggest it. But you could have five, three sisters and two brothers, each of whom are married, who get together in a congregate living arrangement Apparently, they could live in a house, and then you could have a house exactly the same size next to it, and the ten people in the Edmonds Oxford, uh, Oxford Edmonds house could not live there. That, that's exactly the kind of discrimination that Congress intended to prohibit by the Fair Housing Act, and that's exactly the kind of discrimination that would be permitted if this ordinance came within this exception. There are no other questions. Thank you, Mr. Bender. Mr. Snyder, you have two minutes remaining. Mr. Chief Justice. Two points. This case has never been about whether disabled persons should be excluded from the city of Edmonds, but simply where within the community they should reside, given the numbers and institutional nature of the use. We believe that the Eleventh Circuit's position, or a decision in the Athens case, applying a reasonable standard and looking at the factual basis for the ordinance structure, the overall structure of the scheme, is the proper way to approach it. It protects the rights of the disabled and assures that they have a place in the community. Secondly, we believe that, as Council uh, stated a few minutes ago for Oxford House, says the city can point to nothing in the statute which supports a portion of its position. We believe this is one of those legislative situations of someone trying to keep an elephant in their living room. It's simply impossible to ignore. We believe that the better interpretation would have been that had Congress intended to overrule traditional single-family zoning, that it should have done so and should have done so on the basis of the statute. We believe that there weren't the votes for that, that had this issue been addressed directly, it might not have happened that the, the court should look to the plain meaning of the statute and determine what Congress did, not what policies or programs it might have promoted in a different statute. In 1990, citizens, or pardon me, officials of the city of Edmonds sat with the HUD conciliator. They were told that their definition of family, because it had no limit on the number of related individuals, was a violation of the Fair Housing Act Amendment. Their question is the same question I put to the court to the day, as they asked the HUD investigator, where in the statute does it say so? Thank you for this opportunity to participate in a unique national institution. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Schneider. The case is submitted. The Honorable Court is now adjourned until Monday next at 10 o'clock.